Good morning. Have a seat, you guys. Uh, kids can go ahead and be dismissed to, to Children's Church. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible... The verse is going to be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible and you can't see that, we have Bibles we'd like to give to you. Uh, if you want a Bible or need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will, will bring you one. Um, do me a favor. Let, pray with me if you would. Uh, God, I thank you for this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us an opportunity this morning to exhale from the busyness of life and even the confusion of life, Father, and just behold you and your Son this morning. I want to tell you that we love you and we give our lives to you, and I pray that you would just guide our thoughts and guide my words this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so, um, let me be just honest and real here. Uh, I'm like, I had a whole sermon prepared and, and ready and I'm just feeling conflicted about that. Um, distracted, I think life and season, sort of the, the gist of the prayer that I just prayed was kind of rooted there. Um, like here's the deal. When we, when we come to Christmas time every year, like an incredible like stress is on me as as a pastor, <clears throat> and here's why: one, you know, the season and busyness and whatever, you know, that's not any different than what what you guys face. Um, but like, I think the, the unique pressure that I, I sense is that like it's Christmas time, so you have to preach out of Luke two, um, and you have to talk about a king in a manger, and you have to talk about that. But like I, like I, I, I don't want to do that because everybody else does that, and I don't want to do that because like that's what I did last year, and that's what I did the year before that, and the year before that, and I'll do it next year. So like, there's this this conflict to somehow create this new spin. Like no one has ever unfolded Luke two like this before. And so, like, it's like the beginning of, of November, and I have this in mind. Okay, we've got this. This is going to be it. But then you, you get to, to today, the, the Sunday before Christmas, and I just, like, application is, is like, not really that relevant. And, and, and newness of, of word, it just, because this is the king of the world, as, as, a, as a baby born to teenage, poverty-stricken parents in, like, a dirty, nasty place. We like to see sheep in their perfectly white wool coats, but they're just nasty creatures. They're nasty creatures. And Jesus, the king of the universe, naked in swaddling cloths in their food bowl, like, that just doesn't make any sense. 
And that's the, like, like our world, especially our Christian world, wants to see God come and just, just smoke people. You're going to treat us bad. We're going to destroy. Like, we want this sort of, like, reigning, awesome, powerful, wonderful God to come on, like, a cloud with a bolt of lightning and destroy everyone at A&E. Right? But, but our Savior came dirty and poor and humble and as a completely dependent baby. Like, that just doesn't fathom in my brain. It just doesn't make any sense. This is God in the flesh, thoroughly dependent on the provision of his mother. Wait a sec, this is God. He's, this, it just doesn't make any sense. And that's the, like, the theme that we've chosen this year that no one has ever chosen before is reversing Advent, to think differently, to, to see it backwards. And we, we started with his death and, and understanding that, that when Jesus was born as that dependent baby, he was fully aware of his destiny to die a brutal lonely death of torture, both physical and spiritual. And then the last two weeks, we've talked about he came as a, as a servant. This is God who could have demanded worship at any time, serving. And the whole point of his life was to give his life away. And we take application from all of those things. But this morning, we want to just center in on not just that God came to die and God came to give his life away and God came to serve, but this morning God came humble. And like, I'm not going to say anything earth-shattering, but what I want to do is lead us to behold Jesus this morning. So, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's get there and dig into this. Um, Isaiah is written, don't know exactly, but at least 400 years before Jesus is born. And Isaiah was a prophet of God. And, and I like to, whenever I, I read from the prophets, I like to kind of give this disclaimer. I think a lot of us misunderstand what prophecy is in Scripture, what the, the role of the prophet is in Scripture. We kind of think that it's some sort of like fortune telling or, or future predicting there's, a, there's an element of that in prophecy, but ultimately what prophecy is and what it's about and everything in Isaiah and everything in Jeremiah and, and Nehemiah and all these things are, are prophets. And the prophets of God are people who came and their only task is not to tell the future, but their only task is to speak the word of God. So God has something that he wants to communicate to his people. He chooses a prophet to do it. All right? And prophecy isn't about foretelling the future. It's about speaking what God intends for his people to, to know and to hear. That's what Isaiah is. All right? And so this is hundreds of years before Christ will come here in Isaiah, starting in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I want to stop for a second. Again, he's talking about what is to come but he's communicating with people in this age. 
And these people have experienced a great amount of darkness. They've been in multiple exiles. They've been in multiple forms of slavery. They've been abused. They've been kicked out of their home. They've seen their, their temple, their place where God dwelled, completely burned and destroyed. The, the, their, everything about this nation of Israel has been destroyed at one point or another multiple times. And this is the darkness that these particular people feel and sense. And God, through the mouth of Isaiah, is predicting that that darkness is going to one day come to an end through this life of Jesus. Now, for us, like I want to bring this home to us to hear, is that like there is darkness everywhere in us. And we're just like the Israelites, expecting this sort of big powerful, great, and mighty God to come back and, and change things right now with, with like his big iron fist, right? But God is, God is a lot more subtle and humble than lightning bolts and bursts of light and earthquakes. Verse 3. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. And here's what I want to say. In, in verse 2, these people that Isaiah is speaking to, having their, their nation multiplied and their joy increased, that is not true in the moment for these people in, that, are, that are reading this and hearing this. That their joy is not increasing and their nation is not multiplying. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So what is it that they're, they're looking to because they aren't experiencing it at present and they won't experience it for 400 years? Like I hope this kind of, as we behold Jesus and behold the prophecy and then the, the culmination of that prophecy, as we behold that this morning and this, this season, I hope we can begin to connect with these people in Isaiah in sensing that there is real and present darkness around us. And we cling to the hope and the joy and the peace that God brought with his son Jesus. But we don't know it in full here and now in 2013 because stuff happens and the enemy appears to be winning. Verse 4, now getting specifically about Jesus. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken So he breaks the burden, he breaks the rod of his oppressor, the offensive weapon of his oppressor, as in a day of Midian. This is a reference to something that happened previously here with with these folks when there was, Midian was coming against uh, the the nation of Israel and God rose up a leader named Gideon. And I don't know if you guys remember that story, but Gideon had a lot of people in his army and God said, you have too many people in your army, get rid of some. So he got rid of some. And God said, you still have too many people in your army. Get rid of some more. So they wound up with 100 people. And they fought against Midian, thousands of people, and destroyed them at the hand of God, the power of God. So this is what Isaiah, God is speaking through Isaiah to these people in a dark time, in a dark place, remembering what happened to Midian. And what they hear is a very physical, a very real and tangible battle that God won on their behalf for them. And so they are misunderstanding 
the physical nature of what's happening here. They are expecting God to come back with this powerful, strengthening figure to destroy like Gideon and his army of 100 men destroyed Midian. But there's, God is reversing Advent. He's reversing the way that we think and reversing the way that we act. And, and for us, when we see social stuff happen and we see stuff pop up like has happened this week and we see the, uh, the assault on Christmas and, and culture taking Christmas away and it becomes about, you know, family and gifts more than it becomes about the celebration of Christ. And we get all bent out of shape about it. We get all bent out of shape about other issues. Please don't do that. Like, I, I feel like I should talk for like 30 minutes about why we shouldn't do that, but just, can you just trust me and say, please, please, please don't do that. Christ came humble. Christ came as a baby. Christ did not come as he came and destroying people. Verse 5. Again, something that the nation of Israel misunderstood. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood we burned as fuel for the fire in other words every person who attacks a child of god will be destroyed and everything about them will be burned in a fire yeah right but it's 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 a different sort of thing it's 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 our understanding of of the physical nature of what's happening it's actually a spiritual thing that's happening, and we are expecting it. And, and like, here's the thing. If the, the beautiful part about God, the sovereignty of God, is if, if the nation of Israel didn't misunderstand this prophecy and expect this powerful, strong king to come and physically murder people, destroy them, if you're oppressing God's people, you will, you will be physically killed. If, if we didn't, if the nation of Israel didn't, misunderstand that in such a way the cross never happens and sin is never defeated but god is bigger than that god is is above that and and god wants to speak to you this morning that he has come in full authority but it may not be in a way that you like or expect or want verse 8 for to us a child is born to us a son is given I just want to just want to pause and reflect about that for a second a child is given a son is born for us like seriously that's something like, that, this verse you've heard if you're 26 years old, you've probably heard it 26 times on 26 different Christmas messages. But like, don't, don't lose. Christ came to this earth for you. And we get distracted with, with life and work and family and busyness and wrapping paper and malls and 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Like we misunderstand that big time. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to change the way that we are governed. But his name shall be called. And I want to, I want to look particularly at each one of these four things that he says. This is a familiar verse. For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. Hit that next slide there, Ben. Wonderful Counselor. One who makes wise decisions and the comfort that comes from the knowledge that this is your leader. Like this is Christ for us. He is this wonderful counselor. And what that means for us in this current age in 2013 is that what has come to this earth is someone who brings wise decision making and there is a, count, a comfort that comes from the knowledge that this wise decision maker is our leader. So like the peace that we have, the just comfort and exhaling sense of of spirit because Jesus is this great and wonderful counselor. The next one. Hit the next one, Ben. He is a mighty God. This is a term that's used for God himself. The, The Hebrew word is a term that's used for God himself. And this is teaching the people that this coming king will in fact be God. Like again, a prophecy we, we, we sense all the time, but God's speaking to his people for their knowledge and for their appreciation is that the one that's coming, this authoritative, powerful figure that's coming, is going to be God. I want you to, like these things, I want you to, to allow them to kind of sit in your brain. And as, as you engage the season, maybe as you see a, a baby, even, and, and I'm looking at, at two of them, understand that this is mighty God in the form of a baby. And that just the, the weirdness of that. God could choose, he could choose to come in this powerful, reigning, explosive sort of way, but he came in this humble, dependent, dirty way. Hit the next one. He is an everlasting father, a benevolent protector, which is understood, the understood ideal for the king of, I'm sorry, he's a benevolent protector, which is the understood ideal king for people. So if you want to be ruled by someone, you want an everlasting father. Um, one of the things that Mia and I do is this. Uh, I say to her, why did God give you to me? And her answer is to make your heart happy. And then I say to her, why did God give me to you? And her response is to protect me. And like we started this when she was like two years old, when she could first begin to, to speak. All right? Because I want to I press into her the understanding that God literally gave me as a gift to her to protect her. 
And I want every moment of her life in the dark seasons and in the bright seasons, in, in need and in want and in plenty. I want her to understand. I want her to understand when the tornado sirens go off in her house that she can run to me and I will protect her. I want her to, to fully understand that at all times. And it's really important. And so I press that into her. So much so that we've gotten this habitual, why did God give me to you? And so she's got to think about it for a second and make sure that I'm asking her me to you instead of you to me and get the question right. But ultimately, I want her to understand that I am here as a gift from God to protect her. And this is when Isaiah spoke these words to the Israelite people. This is the notion he's trying to give to them. I'm God. I got this. I will protect you. So that when the tornado siren goes off, you fully understand. You run to God and ask for his protection and you sit under that protection. This is the community. This is Christmas. And the beautiful part about the weirdness of all of this is this protection, this God the Father, this everlasting, holy, perfect, I came here as a gift to protect you, is a baby born to poor teenage parents in a nasty, ugly situation with a really powerful king who wanted to kill him, even as a baby. It's like, it's mind-blowing. This is the everlasting Father. And I, I, I pray that in the midst of our season, we'll, we'll look for that. We'll see babies. We'll see nativity sets. We'll see a child opening a gift. And they'll open it up, and it'll be a, a toy they've really wanted. And, and, and somewhere in your mind, you'll think, Jesus came as a gift to be the everlasting father to nurture and protect my soul. Yes. The next one, the last one, Prince of Peace. His presence and ability to rule will bring about peace, shalom, and perfect harmony that we were intended to live in. Like this one's really hard really hard for me because I like like I want to I want to stand up and I want to change our culture and I want to I want to impose my will upon the culture I want to impose my will upon my children I want to impose my will upon you guys and then when I start thinking about that I start thinking about how I want to like I'll, I'll read a Facebook post and it'll really drives me crazy and I want to impose my will on that person or Cooper will, will not do something I've asked him like six times to do and I want to impose my will on him and then I like the stillness and quietness of life happens and it's time to go to bed and I lay there and, and I think about all these things and then I think about and I, I wish that I could impose that same will on my own flesh and my own heart 
And then I see where he came to be the, the Prince of Peace. And I don't see that in my own... Like, I'm at war with my own flesh, and my flesh is at war with my own spirit, and I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then I realize it. I say, and then I realize, like it's an a immediate thing. No, I usually, like, it's the rattling in my brain of confusion, and at some point, somewhere next week, it, I realize that this is all different than we expect it to be. Like, God, would you bring about a peace here and now in my heart forever? Would you, would you s- stop allowing the loudest voices to be stupid in my tribe? There's a peace that I long for. And there's a subtlety to that peace. There's a nuance to that peace. Because Jesus could have come back to this earth in explosive, in explosive form. But he came back humble. He came back to plant the gospel in subtle ways so that we could see it begin to blossom and begin to grow and to begin to, to be beautiful. And that's the same way it's happening in our hearts, it's happening in our culture. Subtle ways, not explosive, profound, wow ways. And, and this is what God has called us to, to plant this sort of subtle gospel into our own hearts and to plant this sort of subtle gospel into our own culture, into our own community. And this is the, the purpose that we are here. To see it and engage it and place it into our hearts and then to go into a culture and do it and be it. Not some big explosive petition sort of way. But I love you. And I sit next to you. And I wrestle with the same things you wrestle with. But God has come and he's changed that. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I think that the message that God is speaking to my heart this Christmas is, is this message. But let me read verse 7 again, but before I do, I want to say this. is Just because it doesn't happen in the way we expect it to happen or want it to happen or in the timing that we want it to happen, doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. But the truth of the matter is, what God intended for you to know in the depths of your soul, just like Mia knows that I'm there to protect her, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this this is the message of Christmas I want to read Luke 2 over you all
and see. Christ here. Not as a, as a powerful king as we and as the Israelites hoped and expected him to be and not as a... Let's just read it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same field, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. By the way, I want to, verse 10, go back just for a second. Do you know the greatest command, the most frequent command in all of Scripture? You just read it. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Like all the commands of all of Scripture, none appears more than God telling you, don't be afraid. Why should you not be afraid? Because the Prince of Peace, the Mighty Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father is here. And the method that God chose to bring him to the earth was in a needy child, in an ugly situation. Just just behold that. And don't be afraid because I have good news of great joy for all the people. Today, in the city of David, is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Your ability to behave is not your Savior. Somebody else's ability to behave is not your Savior. Jesus Christ is your Savior. And he's born On this day, verse 11, verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, like we're so familiar with this, we don't understand. This is probably a very simple, subtle conversation happening. But then suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts proclaiming God Praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is your God. Behold him. We're going to sing a song in just a second, Silent Night, and it's, it's really familiar to all of you. I may even go so far as to encourage you to to not sing it. Just let Jeff sing it over you. And listen 
Listen to the phrasing of the words that are there. The dawn of redeeming grace. The dawn of redeeming grace. This is Christmas. This is Jesus. Allow him to be subtle and plant that beautiful Savior in your heart. In your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus. Oh, I thank you for Jesus. God, I, I confess my sin to you, Father. That things don't happen in the world the way I want them to happen, Father. And that brings unrest in my soul, Father. But Lord, I trust you. You are Savior. You are God. And you decided the best course of action was to send your Son to this earth to teach us how to live, how to serve, and how to die to ourselves, God. God, I pray that your your plan, your sovereignty would make its way into the depths of our souls this Christmas season, Father. I pray as we encounter our culture and as we encounter sin in our culture and more importantly in our hearts, Father, that we would see you and look to you as Savior. We would trust you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray.